0: Um, I, I still remember so vividly the day where I was, uh, it was uh, August 8th, 2008, and I was over in Richmond Hill at a, at a church leadership or a leadership conference, and at the time I was working um, for, uh, for care in the restaurant industry, really enjoying my life, married, house, two kids, quite comfortable in that sense. And uh, I was with the former pastor of our church there, and uh, a man named Gary Haugen was speaking. And Gary uh, is a lawyer who started an organization called International Justice Mission. And Gary had been um, part of the legal team that was prosecuting war criminals uh, at The Hague for several years, and after doing that for uh, quite a while, he, he just got so wrecked with what he saw and was happening and injustice in the world and perversion of justice in law, that he started an organization of lawyers that basically go throughout the world and look for places where justice, injustice is being perpetrated and trying to prosecute uh, basic criminals and undo some of these systemic injustices that are, that are perpetuated by this. And as he began to talk, he said, You know, he said, we are, we are all called to get involved in in um injustice, and justice is not simply or actually narrowly defined as we talk about it in the legal sense, but we're talking about uh social, um, economic, um, spiritual justice stuff where uh, that that as we engage in it, what we're meant to do is fight injustice. And he said, Let me just clarify what injustice isn't injustice isn't the person in the 10 items or less aisle in front of you with 15 as you're counting. Okay? I, I'm the only crazy that does that. Injustice isn't, uh, you know, the, the, the lane that ended a long time ago and people are driving up right to the end. They know the lane's ending, but they're driving up right to the end and cutting in, right? Some of you are like, what? It, it, injustice isn't diseases that we don't have the cure for. That's not injustice. Injustice is that there are 27 million people in the world right now who are enslaved. Enslaved in some way, in some form. And the only reason they are enslaved is because someone more powerful and rich than them is able to do that to them, and no one else is helping them out of it. And that number is actually more than was ever the number of people enslaved during the Atlantic slave trade in Africa during the 15, 16, 17, 1800s. It's more than the number that was enslaved in Great Britain and the U.S. in the early 20th century. We are more educated, more advanced, more aware than ever, and there are more people enslaved than ever. That's injustice. And the only reason they're enslaved is because someone's more powerful and more rich than them is able to do it. And someone who is more powerful and rich than that person isn't doing anything to stop it. That's injustice. Injustice is, the fact is Richard Stern says Richard Stern is the president of World Vision in the U.S. And he described it like this. He said, imagine if you opened the newspaper today and you heard about a, a plane a two, a full of 200 children that crashed. And it would be all over the news. It would probably make world news. And he said a few moments later on the radio you heard another plane crashed. 200 more children in that plane crashed in debt. And another and another and another until you, there was 100 jetliners that crashed in a day. The world will be in a state of panic. And he said, and yet, 20,000 children die every day. And they die of preventable diseases and hunger, things that we have had the cure for. We're raising millions of dollars for things we don't have the cure for, and 20,000 people are dying every day, children, of things we've had the cure for for decades. That's injustice. Injustice is the fact that Oxfam kind of price tags um, extreme poverty at about $64 billion. And injustice is the fact that if every household in North America, US and Canada gave 1%, 1% of their household income, we could wipe that out. Every household in North America, 1%. We could wipe out extreme poverty in a second, but we haven't. It's injustice. Now, I sat there listening to him. I was not motivated to do anything about it. I was so disturbed that I could not move. I literally felt, I remember the moment so acutely, I literally felt like I couldn't move out of my seat. I felt like, perhaps you feel right now, that this guy just dumped on me a whole bunch of stuff that I don't even have a category to deal with. I don't even know what to do with this. What do we do with the fact that a million children are sold into the sex trade every year? That's every child in the GTA. Could you imagine? Every child in the GTA. I felt totally paralyzed. I wasn't, I wasn't excited, I wasn't thinking, yes, we can do something about this. I wasn't thinking I should do something about this. I was just thinking, I don't know what to do about this. I was having a good time at this conference till this dude started speaking. I felt totally paralyzed. And I was thinking, well, what do I do about what I've just been told? And we live in a culture that is more aware than ever. And the question can be, well, what, what do we do when we face something that demands so much more than what we have to give, exponentially more than what we have to give? And maybe you've had this experience before. What, what do I do when I face a mountain of need that is so much bigger than the means that I have to meet in? Now, some of us, okay, we kind of deal with it in two ways. Some of us just ignore it. Some of us just go, I, I can't, I can't, I got enough stuff going on, I'm going to change the channel, I'm going to try to get through this. Some of you are like, why did I pick today to come to church? Um, I, got, I, I don't have a category, I can't really figure out, I, 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 quite frankly, there's enough complexity in my own life, I can't deal with that, so I'm just going to sort of ignore it or pretend it's not there. Now, others of us are like, we can do this. We should do something about this. We are aware, so we we can. We have more means and more uh, innovation and we have more motivation. Let's get celebrities behind this thing. We've done that. You know, let's write songs. And it's that group of people that's preaching to the other group of people saying, come on, don't ignore this. We can do it. But here's the thing that I've found, and I'm not a particularly activistic type, but as I have gotten involved in this, in a sense, closer to the mountain. The closer you get, the bigger it actually starts to look. It's one thing to watch something on TV. It's another thing to go closer to it. And the closer you get and try to summit this thing, the more, as you climb, you think, I don't even know where the top of this is. The the mountain of this is blocking the sun now completely. And it's cold. And this thing is massive. And I don't even know where the sides of it or the top of it are. The closer we get to it, the more complex we find it really is and our activism and our altruism and our positivity begins to go away, quite frankly, appropriately. It's kind of put to shame by the size of the mountain of injustices that seem to be piling up in the world around us. And I've talked to you about this before, but that the problems we deal with are actually more complex than we first admit. We we talk about poverty separate from slavery, but poverty drives slavery. One of the things I mentioned this the other day was sort of news to me was that part of the reason that young girls are sold in the slave trade is because there have been nations for generations that have just killed female children. So now you have all these men, some of whom are becoming princes and wealthy people and saying, well, I need a wife, and there aren't any in my own country, so I'm just going to buy one. And often they're under the age of 12. How do you deal with that? The systemic valuing of men over women for centuries. And now we're seeing the fall in it. We can't fix that overnight. When we went to Guinea last year, and I think all of the teams have had this experience, that the closer you get, the more systemic you see that the issues are, that AIDS is perpetuated not because of a lack of education or latex. That's not the problem. People actually know, and that some women know what they're doing because it's the only weapon they have to get back at the world that infected them before they had the choice to choose. That's a psychological broken heart. You don't fix that by education. It's a culture that essentially views women as there for the pleasure of men. But then wait, we have an entire porn industry built on that in North America, and that's the same belief system. How do we change that? What do you do? And I'm trying to put this question to you, but it's the same question I wrestled with, maybe just trying to burden you with the same things that burden me. What do you do? When you face a need that demands so much more, exponentially more than the means that you have, even the mental capacity to deal with it. Well, as we do every week when we gather together in God's house, and this is God's house, is we turn to God's word, oftentimes desperate and disturbed and needing wisdom, comfort, guidance, direction. And at what I have found over time, year after year after year, day after day in my life, that God's word never disappoints. Not because it's a rule book. I don't. can't you just look at the concordance and go, Injustice, do this, push this button, turn this dial, try this a little bit more. It's not a rule book. It's a, it's a story of my life and yours and the world. And it includes injustice in a sense that it describes the human condition, though it was written thousands of years ago by 40 different authors, three different languages off of several different continents. It has a continuous story that rolls into my present life. And when I read it, I say, yes, the world in a sense hasn't changed. It's not gotten much better. It's not gotten worse. It's the same. It's still dealing with injustice. Not only that, it tells us the story of God. And not God who sits up on his throne and says, do this. Do that, try this. He doesn't dole out advice, nor does he wag his finger at us and say, you screwed up the world I gave you. Instead, it tells us the story of Jesus, who was God, come into the world. And he didn't come into the world the way any of you or I would have come in. We would have said, hey, if I'm coming into this world and I'm God, I've come far enough, I'm gonna take the highest seat here. Like me being a king is as far low as I can stoop, because that's pretty low. No, he came in as a poor man. Blue-collar, working hard, in a marginalized society, in a kind of something that was on the outskirts of the center of Jewish life. He took on a poor man's life and came into this world. And he dealt with this question. And in fact, the passage we're going to look at this morning is, is a passage that I believe that, for my own soul, just began to speak into this question this troubling question what do you do when you face a need that demands so much more than the means you have to meet it And you turn in your bibles with me it's on the screen as well if you want to look it up in your iphone or whatever if you don't have the you version app you should get it it's great uh luke chapter 9 uh verses 10 to 14 When the apostles returned, they had been out teaching and healing and doing all this amazing stuff. Jesus had sent them out. They'd been away from him for a while, and they come back. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. They're hoping to get a bit of a break, a breather from ministry. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. What did Jesus do? He welcomed them. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him, that's his disciples, came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, which means there are probably about 8,000 women and children all in. Send them away. They were there all day in the hot sun. The disciples had already been out doing all this stuff. They could sense a need was coming. These people need to eat. There's 8,000 people here. We've been here all day. So Jesus, let's wrap this up. Give the benediction. Send these people away. They need to eat. Now, lest we judge the disciples, it's always easy to look at them and go, oh, what were they doing? We get that, Right? Jesus, you don't expect us to do anything about this, do you? Can you just send them away? I can't look at this, we just, we just need to move on from this. Let's go do what we were gonna do before. Remember we were gonna take a break and now we've been here all day and you're healing all these people, but hey, there's, in case you haven't noticed, 8,000, we don't have any food, so can we just move on? It is, I, quite frankly, been for, for much of my life, the instinctive reaction I can't deal with this. This is clearly, I mean, they made an assumption. There's no way we could do anything about this. Can we just move on? Can we just look away? We get it. What does Jesus say to them? No, you feed them. You feed them. Don't look away. We're not sending anybody anywhere. You feed them. Jesus, there's 8,000 people here. Or let's let's just even say there was only five. He says, what do you have? We have five loaves and two fish. We have five. There are 5,000. We can't do anything about this. And it doesn't totally say this in this text, but each of the four gospels all tell this story. And there's a sense in which they kind of say, like they say, okay, well, we could, do you want us to go and buy food? But that wasn't actually a suggestion. They were basically saying, you want us to go and buy food for them? In another gospel, it says, this would take nearly an entire wage, year's wage, one man's salary. And in case you forgot, you told us to leave our jobs and follow you, so we don't have any money. This is in our day. It would take $60,000, Jesus, one person's entire salary to do this. So you can't be expecting us to feed them. How on earth are we going to do that? What do you do when you face a need that is mountains more than what you have to give. They were totally paralyzed. And they just assumed, well, this can't be our problem. There's no way we could do anything about it. And Jesus says, what do you have? Well, clearly not enough. If we can hold it in our hands, by definition, it's not enough for 5,000 other pairs of hands. And who knows, maybe the disciples were hoping, we we were gonna eat this. (laughs) Hey, we're hungry you may you may be able to we don't know what you deal you have going on with god but we're just we just need to eat so can you send them away because we can't do anything about this so they kind of say this can't be what does he say but he said to his disciples there was five thousand. of them sit sit down in groups have them sit down in groups of 50 each the disciples did so and everybody sat down Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Jesus says, just give me what you have. He gives thanks, he breaks it, they start to pass it out. And they keep passing out and they keep passing out and they keep passing out. Now, the money they said would take to just give everyone even a little, they clearly had way more. It says everybody ate and had their fill and there were leftovers. Now, some of us are like, yes, see? We can't do it, but Jesus can. Let's go do this and we'll pray and he'll do his miracle stuff and it'll happen. Others of us are like, yeah, I don't see how this would happen. Okay, great that Jesus did that then, but that, that was just food for one meal for those few thousand people. We have, we have global poverty. We have mountains of need that are so much more. How would this happen? And maybe you'd say, well, I haven't seen that happen, or I'm trying, but it hasn't happened obviously fully yet in the world. So what do we do with this? How is this a response to the question, what do we do when we face a need that demands so much more than what we have to give well i'd submit to you that the first thing to ask is not what do we do but who are we in this it's actually whenever jesus told stories the people listening always knew they were somewhere in there right there was always crowds of people and they were always trying to find out who who who's he telling this story about who am i in the story and i think that's actually an interesting way to read the scriptures as well to sort of go through where where would i place myself in this Well, well, let's just get one thing out of the way. We're not Jesus. (laughs) We are not miracle workers. We are not the world. It's a nice sentiment. It's totally false. We cannot fix what is broken in the world. Why? Because you and I are part of the brokenness in the world. We are not the Savior. We are not miracle workers. That's not who we are. And some of us, I say, well, we're, we're disciples. We're followers of Jesus. And of course, that is what it means to be a Christian. And so on one level, sure, we can look at the disciples and sort of go, yes, that's who we are. But here's, here's what I would submit to you in this. As we are faced with this question of what do we do when we face a need that's so much greater than the means that we have to meet it? That we are the bread that is broken and given away. We are the bread placed in the hands of Jesus broken, and given away. It's actually, the, in a sense, the, the hardest role in the story, and yet it's the place that we are most meant to be. What does it mean to be put in the hands of Jesus and broken and given away? What does that mean? It means that we could write checks and, and pray and start a charity or run a fundraising event, but we could do it at a distance and still have the mentality that that's them and eventually we're just going to send them away because we can't do everything. God, I can't give you all my money. And Jesus says, no, like, I, I want you actually, to, you know, why did he tell the disciples to look them in the eye? You feed them. You give yourself to this. You are the bread that is broken and given away. And I'll tell you, the brokenness is the thing I want the least. It's why I stay at arm's length. It's nice to do some things and feel good. I just don't want my heart broken with these things. I didn't like that feeling when we were in Guinea the first night. And I just, I just cried. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't like that feeling of sitting there in that chair on August 8, 2008. It was brokenness that was coming in. It was a weight that I want it off me. I don't want that, I don't want to f- feel like my nice, comfortable life is disturbed by these things. It's the brokenness that we avoid. Having our hearts wrecked by something that we can't fix. Especially in North America, we, we have a everything is possible mentality. It's the breaking we don't want, and yet Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm asking of you, to have your heart broken with the things that break the heart of God that is how we fight injustice it is the first step to have our hearts broken with the things that break the heart of God and to be given away to have ourselves in a sense given to the others the ones we want to keep at arm's length the reason we don't want to be broken is because it means change right It means that I'm going to have to think about my money in a different way if I really start to think about the way that economics work in the world. It means I'm going to have to think about my time a different way. It means I'm going to have to think about who my family is in a different way. Just how wide do the arms of Christ extend in the body around the whole world? Just how far? It means I have to change my little system of who's most important has to change as one person said the view that i have of myself which ultimately is true that the whole world is a play in which i am the lead actor and every everybody else is supporting actors and actresses and props in the world and story about me that's what has to change when i get broken it's a mentality that i have it's the thing that i want the least and yet the thing that jesus is saying before you go off and get active about this Understand, I want you to be broken and given away. What does this look like? What does it mean to be broken? It means that we get close enough to others to feel what they feel. That the tears that they cry, in a sense, we do too. The burdens that they bear, we say, yes, I'm going to take those on to my life too. I'm going to care about the things that you care about. I'm going to see the world the way that you see it. We are close enough in a sense to be broken with the things that are breaking others in the world that's what it means to be given away in his book generous justice timothy keller describes justice as a fabric that god is weaving together and he, and he unpacks the idea of some of you may be familiar with the word shalom it's from the it's from the hebrew old old testament and the hebrew word shalom in the in the english translation is translated peace but It's actually kind of a weak translation. The word peace for us sometimes just means sort of a peaceful state of mind or the absence of war. But the idea of peace in the Old Testament, shalom, was actually what Eden was like, paradise. It was where everything worked together in harmony. It was in perfect unity, where human beings were made to be in relationship with God and in relationship with each other, enjoying their work, and stewarding and caring for each other and the world. It was shalom. And Keller says, you know, that our lives as people are like threads. And not threads that are just sort of thrown on a table, but threads that God is weaving together into this fabric called justice. And that to be broken and given away is to say, okay, I will let my life be woven into the life of another so that you cannot tell where one ends and the other begins. I will allow myself to be so tied to another person, to have my life so defined by the community that I'm a part of, not me, the single thread, that to know myself means I know the community of justice that God has brought together, that I cannot understand myself without pulling myself apart from it. It is something that God is weaving together. That in a sense, I give myself to him and say, weave my life into the picture that you are making into the world the way you see it, the way you want justice to be, God. Take my life and weave it into the lives of others so that you create the picture, instead of the picture I have of what I want my life to be, I'm saying to you, use me in the picture that you are making, the fabric of what true shalom and peace is meant to be. I see we as Christians are the only ones on the hook for this, and this is why I say that, because if you don't believe in a God, you may want to do something about justice, but you don't have to, because if if you believe that we are products of time and chance, random atoms crashing together, and that survival of the fittest is the rule of life, then that's exactly what's happening in the world, survival of the fittest and the stronger are using the weaker to make themselves stronger. That's how we got here. That's not right or wrong, it just is. If that's your view of the world, you may want to do something about justice, but I'd submit to you, it doesn't come from your worldview. You don't have to do anything about it. If you have an Eastern view of things, that all of what we see is a cycle that just repeats, and that maybe karma is playing into it so that wherever people are at is just something that they've done in the past, that they deserve it, or that what we see is an illusion that the material world is actually all part of a supreme consciousness that's not actually material, then your worldview doesn't demand you do something about it. You may want to, but you don't have to. But we, who call ourselves Christians, who believe in a God of love, who made a world of love and put us in the middle of it and said, I want you to know what it's like to live in perfect harmony with me and with one another and that we are a part in a sense of the brokenness, we are on the hook for this because we say, it may be the way it is, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not what was in the heart of God when he made the earth. And so to be broken and given away is to say, yes, Lord, use my life to be part of the mending to bring the world back to the way that you designed it to be. Now, how do we do that? What does that mean, to actually allow ourselves to do that? Well, I have a couple suggestions for you as you think about this to be broken and given away. The first one is this, and there's four up there for you, and these are just some some suggestions as a step. Okay, some of you may want to come to a prayer meeting tonight. At a prayer meeting, we actually start to know and get ourselves more attached to people other than ourselves that in a sense as you pray and I found this in my life as I've started to pray for initially people I didn't know that well and I didn't even know how to pronounce their names and you start to know their lives more and more my heart starts to get attached to them I now care about the things that I've been praying for for a few years people in places I never even knew up until last year had never been that become a part of my own care and concern in the world. It's what happens when you pray. It's how you get attached to people is when you pray. And for some of you, that may be a step to say, okay, I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to take a step. Some of you want to sign up, may want to sign up to be on an email list that comes out for our international workers, either in Central Asia or in Guinea, or to pray for the team that's going. I know they would love to have you sign up for that. You can do that today during the market. Jan will be out there at a table. This is the first table that we have that's Got all this stuff from um, Central Asia on it. You can sign up for that. You may want to consider going on a team in the future. I'll tell you that I don't think any of us have done all the interviews for the team that's gone and, of course, it was part of the team that went. None of us, in a sense, were, felt like really capable, like we knew what we were going to do and we, this was going to be easy for us, and it's varying degrees for different people. But that may be your step to say, you know what, I just need to get there. I just need to see this with my own eyes. That's actually a very valid reason to go. Sometimes we think, well, why would we go? It's so much cost. Isn't it better to give the money? Why? Well, because we're not just trying to give money. We're trying to give ourselves. We want our hearts to be broken with the things that break the heart of God. So for some of you, that means I just got to go and see it. Some of you may want to give a substantial amount to this. Now, this sounds typical, but let let me say this. I don't get a cut of what gets given to Guinea. Okay. Why do I say a substantial amount? Why, because $20 won't change your life. It won't. You can give and forget about it the next day. Here's what I've seen in my own life. When I give a substantial amount of money, when I cancel something I was gonna do and give that money away, when I make a commitment to have to give money that's gonna make me commit to have to change certain parts of my lifestyle, I've now been broken a bit. And my heart, thats what the Bible tells us, that our heart is where our money is, where our treasure is. My heart goes after where I send my money. That's true, right? It's true about everything. Anything that you're interested in, anything that you substantially invest in, your heart is interested in. If you have stocks, you know this. You watch that ticker. Why? Because you have invested in it. Your heart is after it. And so you may need to say, I've never really given a substantial amount of money away ever that may be the step to say how does my heart get I want my heart to go with this thing because I'm not just going to give I'm going to give myself because I want to be broken and given away you know how we can have the courage to do this because Jesus did it first see this this story you flip over a few pages in your bible and you'll find a little while later Jesus is sitting in a room with his disciples and it's just them now and he takes bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and what does he say This is my body given for you Jesus didn't just lift surface to this his death on the cross the the eucharist the elements of communion that we take are a symbol of him saying I am giving myself away He is asking you and I to do something that he has done first and in the sense that we have received from him We who were actually impoverished, and this is the the great lie that we believe, that somehow there are poor people and rich people, and I know there's a reality of economics, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the scriptures tell us that we are impoverished in spirit, that we are broken, that we are enslaved to sin and shame and guilt and things that we could have never freed ourselves from, that the mountain of injustice and sin was, in a sense burying us. And Jesus gave himself, was broken, so that we would be rescued. That is our identity now. And so he says, come, I want you to do the same thing that I have done for you. You're not gonna free anybody from sin, but you live out of the freedom that I have given you and you realize, wait, my life is not my own. God, weave me into the picture that you are making of shalom, of peace. Now, the great fear in this, if you take any of those steps that I suggested or any step towards this, the great fear is, what if there isn't enough left for me, right? That's the fear. And maybe that's what the disciples were thinking is like, well, we were gonna eat this. Some of you may think, well, financially, I don't have that much margin. What if, what if I sacrifice and, and, and it doesn't get, like, and, I, and I, I'm at a loss? What if I give myself to this and I find that I have none left? I don't have a lot of time in my life. I'm full already. I, that's true about all of us, right? None of us have loads and loads of spare time just sitting around. The fear is, what if there isn't enough left for me? Here's what I know, and I've seen this just in the small steps that God has led me to take in my family over the years. There were 12 baskets full left over at the end. There was more than what they started with, more than they could ever imagine, and that's what I've found is if you give, if you let yourself be broken and given away, you will find that there is more than you even started with. That's just the way Jesus works. I have found that I have actually had way more capacity to give than I ever thought I would. I've been actually to give way more than I ever thought I would of my time, of myself, my money, never what I thought at the beginning because it seemed like so small when I was hanging on to it and I thought this is all I have left. And every time that I've risked, I find in the end, some way, some form, how did I have more? How is there more to go around? How has my capacity to give actually grown? This is, that is the miracle. It is a miracle of money. It is a miracle of time. It is a miracle of emotional capacity in your own life. Some of you may think, I don't have the emotional capacity to care for these people. I'm going to have enough time getting through my own life. You have, will have more. I'm telling you, your heart can get bigger. It can And what you will find is that you will be able to receive more. This is the ultimate principle. You will be able to receive more than you ever would have gotten if you had held it for yourself. That's why we hang on for ourselves, right? Because it's for me. I can't let go of this. What you will find is you will get way more than you ever would have received, in a sense, had you held on to it you know, the, this market that we're going to engage in in a few minutes. It's my favorite day of the year, one of them. We have lots, lots of favorite days. I love Sundays. It's my favorite day. But what, what, why is it so exciting? Because we are scheming and giving for somebody else. Who gets to keep what we spend in this room? None, none of us. And they are people that a few years ago we didn't know about, a corner of the world we didn't care about. And now we cry for them and we pray for them and we try to give as much as we can for them. That's why we're doing this, is because there is a joy. I feel like as a church, and I myself, would be so impoverished if I had not gotten into this partnership with all of you and them. We would be less of ourselves, wouldn't we? We'd be less of who we are as the body if we had not given ourselves to it. And so... That is my belief. As you go out today and you engage in this, why are you doing this? Because you will find you will grow. Your capacity to give and love and receive will be bigger because you have spent yourself, in a sense, being broken and given away. i can invite the worship team to come up and lead us in a response, but I would like to just pray for us that we be able to follow Jesus in this incredibly difficult but such, so rewarding calling. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not asked us to do something that you did not do yourself and that you went there first. And we thank you that the cross reminds us that you were broken and given away. That this cross that we carry out every week and put up here at the front of the theater is a reminder to us not just of your sacrifice, but the fact that because you gave, we received something we could have never gotten ourselves. And our lives have been changed because you were broken and given away. And we thank you that you are a God of justice. We thank you that you are a God that cares about the poor and the needy. And you will not let us send them away. You ask us to look them in the eye. Say, I want you to come close, close enough to feel their pain, close enough to cry their tears, close enough to take their burdens onto yourselves. And so I pray, God, as each of us take a step forward and as we do do that as a church, that we would grow that our hearts would get bigger, our capacity to give and receive would be bigger, and that we would find a week from now, a year from now, that we have been changed, that we have been more woven into the lives of others than we ever thought possible, rescued from our selfishness, rescued from our isolation, rescued from our tightly closed fists. Continue to free us even this morning, Lord, and as we celebrate together, In worship and then in giving and experiencing what it is to be wrapped up in the lives of those that don't even live here that we would find more what what a joy it is and we would released be released from the guilt and the burden of facing a need that's so much bigger than what we have to meet it and that we would know that all you ask us to give is who we are and it is enough we thank you in jesus name Amen. amen going to give you my uh, benediction and then i'll ask uh, melissa to come up and just tell us what's going to happen over the next hour my prayer is just that you would experience uh, instead of a desire to shrink back that you would feel in yourself your sense moving forward to jesus that what he's inviting us into though it may seem scary is actually the most wonderful thing he could do for us to be woven into the picture that he is making and so that maybe if you felt a little bit on your heels even this morning that you would be feeling moving towards what he's calling you to do would you receive that